Well, here we are. It is time, Simba. If you understand that reference, you might be about the age where we should be working together. It's possible. But it is now one of three times a year that I'm accepting clients for my freedom framework, overcoming food sensitivities and increasing energy without unnecessary restriction. My goal for my one-on-one clients is to take them through frameworks and explore tools for achieving 50, 80, 90% of their goals in just a few months and show them how to continue to heal on their own so they don't need me anymore. Honestly, I think we're doing great one-on-one work here, helping women that would otherwise be falling through the cracks, thinking that they're just aging, that they're just moms, that they just, and it may be true that they just have stress when really those stress hormones and their other core systems just really need some serious support and some serious love to serve them for years to come without symptoms. So if you'd like to clear inflammation, eczema, food sensitivities, or improve energy and brain clarity, I'd love to chat with you. You can book a call with me at kristabigler.com forward slash FSS, kristabigler.com forward slash FSS. And that link will be in the show notes. If your heart is not feeling good, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're having insomnia, you're going to wear yourself out, right? And the heart and kidney balance each other. And because of the two of them, the heart is fire, the kidneys water. Think about water and fire balancing each other out. Welcome to the Less Stressed Life Podcast, where our only priority is providing those aha moments to uplevel your life, health, and happiness. Your host, integrative dietitian nutritionist Krista Bigler, helps health-conscious women reduce the stress and confusion around food, fatigue, digestive, and skin issues at lessstressnutrition.com. Now, on to the show. You know, I've really spent some time reflecting on my own phases of burnout this year and past years, and I know I'm not the only one that has gone through or goes through these peaks and valleys. And while sometimes you need lows to appreciate the highs in life, some valleys are pretty difficult for both your mind and your body in a very literal physical way. This year, I'm feeling really pulled to help others work through burnout, nourish their adrenals, mind, body, and spirit, and have some incredible things in store to help you feel refreshed and renewed. I invite you to take my quiz, Are You Approaching Burnout?, to assess your stress resilience and find out more about how to help you overcome it. Go to kristabigler.com forward slash burnout to take that quiz, and it'll also be in the show notes. All right. Today in The Lesser's Life, I have Dr. Janine Krauss, who is a naturopathic doctor, acupuncturist, and podcaster who specializes in helping ladies simplify their health, fitness, nutrition, and stress management routines so they can enjoy life to the fullest. And I resonate mostly with simplify in that sentence. She loves educating on how stress interferes with the ability to be consistent with health and fitness routines, cope with trauma, manage pain, and move forward in life. She's on a mission to change the current healthcare model to one that focuses on health transformation, empowerment, and community support. And when not in the office or on a podcast, she can be found in nature, whipping up a new recipe in her kitchen, reading a book, curled up with the dog, or as I was just on her podcast, Skeen, we talked about that as well. So welcome, Dr. Krauss. Thank you. All right. There's some things I really resonated with in that bio that we'll come back to later. But today, you're going to give us something that I feel like people have heard about. Maybe they haven't heard about. Maybe they have a misunderstanding or they hear about it, but they're like not familiar. We were just talking about eczema and I feel like it gets thrown around a lot. They'll say, people will say, oh, I'm using TCM for this. So we're going to talk about traditional Chinese medicine and all the things related to that and how that can be employed to help fix problems, essentially. So let's get into it. Let's talk about what is traditional Chinese medicine in the first place. Yeah. So traditional Chinese medicine is a ancient type of medicine. Technically on reports, they talk about it being 5,000 years old or more, but truly what it is, is a simplified way of explaining what's going on in your body. They take a look at temperatures, so hot and cold in terms of a contrast. Do you feel warm? Are you drawn to warm things? Or do you repel yourself from warm things? Or is something cold? Or do you repel yourself from cold things? Like don't like being in cold weather. So we think about the temperatures. Then we think about colors. You know, bright red, we had talked about that in our podcast of eczema, is something super inflamed, hot. Is it toxic red? Is it super bright, 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 bright red? Or is something more purple? The coloring of purple and blue and black in the Chinese world tends to be towards stagnation and blood flow not moving. And then we look at things in terms of yellow colors, gray colors. I mean, you can kind of take the whole color spectrum and tie it to something going on. We also talk about smells. We look at tongues. We look at pulses. And so we're looking at the clues the body's giving us on a very simplified level to essentially 
make plans for how we're going to develop a treatment plan. And so traditional Chinese medicine isn't just about acupuncture. It's not just about herbs. It's not just about diet. It's taking into account the whole person and all of the things that a person might interact with, including their environment. So a lot of times we might have someone, so say I live in, I live in the Pacific Northwest in the middle of the winter, it's cold and rainy here. And if someone has a lot of joint pain in their elbows and knees and, and their body, and they go to Arizona on vacation and they feel better, one of our prescriptions might be go to Arizona more often, change your environment. Seems kind of a basic, you know, recommendation, but Chinese wise, we're looking at environment and then we would build on that and add in certain foods that would help to alleviate this person's pain because it's working on warming them from the inside out. So traditional Chinese medicine is a huge encompassing medicine that really takes into account nutrition, environment, but also what's going on in terms of your external presentations and how you live life as a whole. So it's kind of cool that way. Interesting. It reminded me when you were talking about it, we have this thing, you probably had it too in school, nutrition-focused physical assessment. And it feels like the nutrition-focused physical assessment of traditional Chinese medicine. Um, Mm -hmm. So like looking at the tongue and and these are things that I ask people about their sense of smell. Actually, Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear what are some of the smell things um, that come out? Like, I'm just really curious now. Uh, Wait a second. So like, what does that look like? What What does that smell like? So in the principles of traditional Chinese medicine, we have wood, we have fire, we have earth, we have water, and we have metal. And so the smells kind of go along with those five elements. And so fire smell would be like burning wood. Sometimes people can smell a little woody, which... How do I describe that? Earthy of sorts. Mm. And there's also an earthy dirt smell, which are distinguished more or less by someone smells more tree-like and someone smells more dirt-like. It's Mm. weird, but there are distinguished things. The other thing that goes along with the earthy is sometimes if someone has more of an earth element, they smell kind of sweet to you. Mm kind of weird. And I just so full disclosure. So people are like, this chick is crazy. I'm not up sniffing people. It's more like if someone comes in the room and there is a smell to the person, I might be thinking like, is it their clone? Is it their perfume? You know, that happens too. But sometimes people just have a certain smell. Like imagine, so, so ladies who are attracted to men might have this kind of thing. They like how their partner smells in terms of their t-shirt, right? You can smell their t-shirt and you're like, that smells like, you know, my husband's name's Joel. That smells like Joel. So this, this is kind of the concept I'm going here. I'm not sniffing my patients, <laughs> but there's a wood smell. There's an earthy kind of dirt, sweetie kind of smell. There is a pungent smell. Some people can smell kind of toxic. And if they smoke, if they're detoxing, that's more of that pungent. Pungent goes along with lung chi because when we breathe, we're going to be expelling what's kind of coming on inside. If any of you have ever partied and woke up the next morning and you kind of can smell the alcohol still, yeah. or if you've run into somebody who's partied the night before, it is what it is, but this is more of a pungenty kind of lung smell. So we're looking at something wrong with the lung. And then we've got, you know, the other elements and, and I can go into major detail with all of them. But the point being here is that we have the smells that are the wood elements. We have the smells that are the earth elements. We have the smells that are more of the fire, which is more kind of burning smell. We also have the smell that goes along with metal, which is kind of like a more metallic smell. A lot of people can also talk about it in terms of taste and metallic taste. And then we have the pungency that I mentioned in terms of the lungs. So they're different smells and different tastes. These tastes also, by the way, for folks who are listening, smells and tastes kind of go hand in hand too. So if you have a different taste in your mouth, we'll often ask and kind of link that back to the different organs. Well, actually, I want to talk about tongue next because I think it's going to help hammer because I'm thinking through, okay, one, when you're talking about certain smells, all I can think about is like walking into a food co-op and smelling all these things and the earthiness and the people because you know i think it's somewhat products i think like we're kind of covered up by products sort of Mm -hmm. so it's like i'm not really sure that can be kind of a challenging one but it's a a tricky one it is but b vitamins so you go into a natural food store or you go into a supplement store you smell those b vitamins Mm. those b vitamins would be more of that kind of earthy smell Mm. in someone interesting all right i want to talk about the tongue because i think the mouth is the gateway to the body i think we, we could learn a lot from looking at teeth the origin of chiropractic care was mm-hmm. a dentist, right? And so anyway, mm-hmm. that's a whole nother story. But when you look at the mouth, I'm thinking about the tissues, but we're talking about tongue. So let's just talk about tongue because I want to know how this overlaps. Because when you're talking about this so far, I had a lesson on Ayurveda. I, I became mm-hmm. first interested in Ayurveda. I was a research writer for an internship in college at the end. 
and there was a professor who was doing stuff. Anyway, that was the, my first exposure to Ayurveda was him talking about his lineage and history. And I'm like, literally graduating. I'm like, how come I don't learn this cool stuff? You know? Um, so that was my first exposure to Ayurveda. And then recently there is a Ayurveda dermatologist in California. And uh, we were talking about just what they're doing and could I help with some anyway? And they have a little bit of a quiz and it talks about, are you Tundra or whatever? And so I'm just kind of wondering if you are familiar with Ayurveda and if you see total like overlaps too, before we get into the tongue. And is there like a radial, if I like Google traditional Chinese medicine that would kind of show me like hot, cold, like it would give me like the smell tongue. Like I feel like I need a picture a little bit. There are a couple different things online where folks talk about five element theory and really honestly one of the best ones ends up being on on like pinterest or stuff i've seen some pretty good ones and and it's called felt five so the number five element theory okay. and now you yeah. mentioned chi which means energy right and mm-hmm. so talk to us well i'm gonna get to the tongue but like i'm i'm a tangent person and so talk to me about is that like an arm you know sort of <laughs> like So chi itself really is kind of debated right now. It's been for years as to what it really exactly means. And so what I found it to mean and and what I've seen in terms of data that resonates the most with me is the movement of electrolytes within the third layer of the skin. So in your hypodermis. Because when I put an acupuncture needle in and I put a couple, say, in a line and I'm kind of showing my arm and you put a couple in a line, sometimes folks will feel one to the other, try to talk to each other. They'll feel almost like an ants crawling sensation along Mm. their skin. And to me and what's been researched and found is that you will have movement of ions. You will have movements of sodium potassium chloride. You'll have movements of magnesium within that third layer of skin and movement of ions within the bloodstream too when you put one needle and put it next to another one in a line. So chi is really the movement of ions within the body. Oh, I love that description. That made like so much more sense to me than anything else. So I'm just thinking about acupuncture, external layer. I'm obsessed with minerals anyway. Anyway, and this is like above the layer of you know, where we get into it, which I'd love to interview someone on fascia stuff, which is totally different. It's like the external, external stuff. But acupuncture can affect fascia too. I really believe it can. Needles are really meant to create a response within the body because they're going to poke you, right? And so your body's got to go, oh, hey, I've wounded myself. Something is stuck within me and it's going to drive blood to that area. Now, if you line up needles and you put them in a channel or you put them, you know, in channels, we have 14 of those, by the way, folks, for accessing different organs within the body. And these channels are very similarly close to blood vessels. They're very similar in this case, in terms of they follow the patterns of the blood vessels, but they also connect into the fascia. So for example, I'm showing my hand on the screen and the hand actually connects all the way up. And we've got fascia that connects all the way up into the base of our skull connected together there. So when you insert a needle into muscle or skin, you will get ions moving within the fascia. You can affect fascia. In fact, there's a whole theory of Chinese medicine that works specifically on working on the fascia and it's called sinew channels in the Chinese medicine like world. And in terms of going even deeper, there is a whole group of folks and I'm part of this group I'm certified in this is it's sports medicine acupuncture where we're affecting these fascial channels all the way up with specific points and specific techniques. The first thing I think about also, the next level of acupuncture in my brain when you were talking about this is dry needling, which is acupuncture needles being pushed in farther into the fascia and then connecting it to a TENS unit and like loosening because muscle literally has... I guess it has memory, right? If you get an injury. And so then you tend to do like the same things over and over. And so it kind of like, I'm going to have someone talk about this who's smarter than me, right? Basically allows (laughs) us to like release essentially. And so anyway, we just have some personal experience with this in our family. And so it's been kind of interesting to see this happen. And I should have prefaced this whole conversation with this. The reason I think it's cool for us to do like a one-on-one on traditional Chinese medicine and understand it is because I think the Chinese, they are like original, what they did, we're still trying to leverage and use. And they had usually things figured out before us thousands of years ago. And so there's just a lot of wisdom there. And so we might be adapting how we're using some of that knowledge, but there's just a lot of like, 
everyone is familiar with acupuncture points. People are familiar with like pushing on acupuncture points. We're talking about the needles, but like you can do different things with that. And actually, if you can tell us like, what are some things you can do with acupuncture points besides sticking needles in them? Like how can you use them? Yeah. So a couple of different ways. I will put tuning forks on them often. And so for folks that are listening, tuning forks are often what the doc's going to check to see if your hearing is okay. It's like that thing they hit on their hand and then they put it by your ear and they're like, hey, can you still hear this? And they take it up further and hey, can you still hear this? Well, you can take those and put them onto acupuncture points. And so now they're stimulating your blood flow movement with vibration instead of actually applying needles. And I use this a lot with children, but I'll also use it a lot when I'm working with folks who are really stressed out about needles or someone who's just really fatigued, super drained, and their adrenals are in a fragile state where like every needle hurts, I'll switch to using just tuning forks and that'll help me to stimulate the acupuncture points. Now, other ways, yes, acupressure, you can use that as well to help the points. You can also put essential oils on the points. You can put crystals on the points. And you can have a different type of response. Now, I am not a specialist in crystals. I I don't do a lot of that work, but I do do certain ones where I'll put obsidian on certain areas to help protect folks and amber and different things of that nature. And then essential oils, you can pretty much take that in so many different directions because there's essential oils that resonate with certain channels, trying to boost them or trying to sedate them, meaning like give more energy. Say someone's fatigued, kidneys are our batteries. And we have kidney channels on either side, they're matching. And those kidney channels, if we're trying to boost someone up and we're wanting to boost their adrenals because the adrenals happen to be in the kidney channel, we will put certain essential oils on the kidney channel. And in particular, there's some great ones on your chest on either side of your sternum. And if it's sore on either side of that breastbone, the sternum, you can put an essential oil such as, you know, one of my favorites is frankincense, putting that on the chest and it's a a soothing type of point. You can put lavender there if that's more your jam. So things to think about how you can strengthen a particular channel or say you're really stressed out and you're just, your brain's just going nuts. We can sedate the heart channel a little bit, meaning calm that heart fire because your heart, the element that goes with your heart is fire and insomnia and anxiety go with that. So how do we do it? We put water on the fire. So I will use points on the channel that are specifically known for water elements. So putting water on it. And so we put the fire out with a little bit of water and I will tend to, so I'm I'm showing my elbow here on the inside of your elbow, you have a point called heart three and you can put a nice cooling essential oil, like mint, something of that nature on the inside of the elbow to help calm anxiety. Eucalyptus will work in that area as well. Rosemary, things of that nature. So things to think about in terms of how you can use essential oils to affect your acupuncture points and and your channels. The million dollar question is, how does it work? I mean, like, how (laughs) do you feel effective it is? And I'm sure it just depends. And I think, let me back up for a second Mm -hmm. before we get to how does it work. I think maybe it's important for me to say, like, if this is new to you, this is kind of concepts of energy medicine, so to speak, Mm -hmm. where we talk about like the nervous system, there's energy pulsing through the body and we don't necessarily talk about the nervous system and a way to think about it is kind of like a battery. We are conducting energy, Um, but that's not something we really talk about in medicine. And when you relate it to things that we're familiar with, like talking about the channels that follow blood vessels, it helps me visualize or connect that to something that we already tangibly know. Whereas Mm -hmm. nervous system stuff is not really like, yes, we understand we're going to actually talk about the nervous system, but I feel like it's just sort of not really talked about, right? Like it doesn't feel as tangible as we wanted to. So anyway, that thought first, but how does it work? So it works by this. And and I am your least woo-woo person in the world, which for a lot of people, they're like, what, you do acupuncture, not woo-woo? Well, it's like this. We can feel our own energy. I mean, if you put your hands together, like a lot of people rub hands together and hold them like this. If you put your hands together like this for long enough, you're going to be able to feel something. You can actually put your hand over an acupuncture point, like a lot of people know the acupuncture point between the thumb and the first finger, you can actually put your hand over that area and you can feel where there's like a little bit more of a pull. And that's the point. We were taught in school to literally close our eyes and take your finger and just your index finger and put it over your body by about two or three inches and see if you could feel something in terms of pulling. Now, a lot of people will be like, no, I can't feel it. I feel nothing. This is, this is hogwash. Well, you have to kind of slow yourself down. You can't be thinking about 400 other things and, and do that. You got to slow yourself down. But we do have energy fields. It's just like Krista said, we emit energy. We have auras. We have all of that stuff. 
we are electrical beings. So we can tap into our own energy. So by knowing where the certain acupuncture points are and taking essential oils and pressing that area, you're creating your response. Because if you press your body here in your elbow, your body's going to register that in your brain that something has touched your elbow. And it's going to register it obviously at the opposite side of the brain. And that'll happen naturally. So you can get response with your body just by touching your own skin and holding that area. Now, for a lot of us, we have to have some type of mechanical stimulation to make it feel like it's real or something's happening. So a lot of times I'll have people do like a little baby massage in that area. And for a lot of people, the elbow is a sore spot. So considering certain areas that are more sore, chances are there's an acupuncture point somewhere in that vicinity. You can do kind of the scanning and see if you can feel something. And chances are it might take you a time or two. But the thing is, is all of us have energy. All of us have that field and it's electrical energy and you can touch that spot and hold it and you're going to get a response within the body. Same as like if you hold your jaw and you just do a little massage there, same as if you massage your own shoulder, you're going to feel slightly different that side versus the other after you work on it and manipulating and getting it to change in your own body. You can do it. It's better if someone else is doing it for you. I will be honest, but Mm -hmm. A lot of us have to do our own care because we can't get out or whatever's happening. And with COVID, I was doing a lot of acupressure sessions with folks and mini massage sessions Mm -hmm. and lymphatic drainage kind of stuff. So it's something that you have to slow down a little bit to do. You can feel your own energy. It does exist and it just takes some time, but it's definitely working by creating a response within the body. That's all it is. You're just getting your body to have awareness to a particular area. This would be a great place to segue into the biology of the autonomic nervous system and the branches of it. But I can't forget about to talk about the tongue first, and then we can go there. So let's get back to to how you understand, like, what are you looking at with the tongue? Okay. So when you stick out your tongue, what is happening is we're looking at the front, the middle, and the back half of the tongue in addition to the sides first. So the front of your tongue, so the tip of your tongue is related to your heart and your lung. And so that's your heart lung chi area. It gives a little clue into what's going on there. The middle of your tongue is related to your digestive system, so spleen, stomach. The back of your tongue is related to your kidney and your lower jowl, as as Chinese would call it, which is kind of your pelvis area, if you think of it that way. The sides of your tongue are liver, gallbladder. So when someone sticks out the tongue, we're looking at color, we're looking at coating, and we're looking at just the shape and the mechanics of the tongue. So if someone sticks out their tongue and I see a very pale tongue and it's shaking and it has teeth marks. I know that that person's fatigued already. That's all I have to see. It's just that happening. Now, another person can stick out their tongue and I have a very fat tongue and and I'll show it if anyone's going to look here at this podcast, but my tongue is fat. It's wide. It's a big old tongue. If you were into cannibalism, I would probably have a great tacos de lengua tongue going on here, like a cow tongue. My tongue's huge. So it's fat. If you have a fat swollen tongue, you have dampness within your body. Dampness for the Chinese world is basically fluid doesn't move well. Your lymphatic system genetically does not remove toxins well from your body. And sadly, I was drawn to live in the most damp place in the universe, in the Pacific Northwest. So I have to be eating certain ways to help keep this from getting out of control. So shape and color. Now, coating, I mentioned in terms of do you have a thick coating? One of the ways that we can tell if someone has a lot of yeast overgrowth or is struggling to break down their foods is if there's a thick white coating on that tongue. I've also seen black coatings and yellow coatings on the tongue. Black, there's a lot of toxins going on in that body, a lot of bacteria. Yellow, we've got a lot of acid reflux possibly coming up, or we have some bacteria going on as well. So it's kind of cool to look at your tongue, but it's also really amazing to see what's going on on the coating. And then the last part about the tongue is the underneath side of the tongue and looking at the blood vessels underneath your tongue. If you have blood vessels that are large, but they're short, That means there's lots of stagnation in your body, which is translated to your blood flow doesn't move as well as it could. Your circulation is poor. Mm. This can be hypothyroidism. This can be someone who has issues with cardiovascularly, things of that nature. Now, you might also see one blood vessel is longer and then the other one shorter than the other. That tells a lot about what's going on in terms of one side of the body versus the other. And I can predict if someone has more pain on one side versus the other because pain is directly related to lack of blood flow. When the Chinese say that someone has qi and blood stagnation, that is one of the hallmarks of that is pain and lack of blood flow, maybe due to an injury, maybe due to something that's going on with the fascial tissue being restricted. So that's kind of the tongue in a nutshell. 
Oh, I loved that because I think the tongue is really interesting, but I never really had a manual for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so I only knew what I knew <laughs> from experience. But when you said teeth marks, do you mean like those, I've seen this before where it's like striation, I don't know. It just looks yeah. like there's like holes in the side. Why did you say that that person is fatigued? Like what did that mean more specifically? Cause I'll see it come and go. Yeah. So the coming and going of it is really swelling of the tongue. And the tongue can be swollen when fluid is not moving well in the body. So it goes back to circulation. Really, Chinese medicine is based on circulation, not circulation. So good circulation, poor circulation, stuck circulation, if someone's not moving at all. And so, yes, some days if we have, for example, exhausted ourselves, the body will hold on to fluids in the tongue and you'll see those teeth marks. And when someone's moving more and feeling more energetic, you won't see as much of that fluid buildup in the tongue. Cool. Interesting. Thank you. Okay. I really appreciated that little side note. Glad we got to talk about the tongue. Let's talk about the nervous system. So let's get back to kind of like biology and how it links together because we know that the nervous system is there. We just don't always talk about it in super depth or detail. We sort of do because we talk about things that come from it, but let's talk about the nervous system 101. Okay. So We've got two parts to the nervous system. We have our sympathetic, and this is autonomic nervous system, just to clarify. So we have the sympathetic, which is fight or flight, which a lot of us live in. And then we have our part of the autonomic that is our chill. It's our rest, digest, and chill mode. And this is the parasympathetic mode. And unfortunately, a lot of folks don't talk about parasympathetic mode as much as we should be because this is the state we want to be in more. And so these two wings of the autonomic nervous system, they're guiding how stress out or how chill you are. And in particular, we link it back with messaging in the body. So for example, if we're super stressed out and we're kind of go, 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 we're like shoving food in really fast. We have like meeting after meeting after meeting lined up. That's going to send messages to your brain that there's a bear chasing you. The body doesn't distinguish between meetings and bears. It's basically the bear is after you. It doesn't know the difference between that. And so your fight or flight nervous system is going to be primed. And the more that you stack the commitments on and on and on each other, and the more that you live in this fight or flight state, the message coming back down from brain to body is like, oh crap, we got to be prepared all the time for this bear that might be attacking us. So the shoulders start to become earrings. We start to armadillo, as I call it. We start to curl up on ourselves. And then we get neck pain, we get shoulder pain. But at the same time, we're also compressing how we breathe. So we're still sending more messages back up to the brain. With continued time of doing this, the message back down from the brain is we have to stay inflamed. We can't regulate this. So we lose regulation. So now we're starting to have more aches and pains. We can't sleep. We're not keeping things in check. We can't heal the gut. We can't heal our skin. We're getting all of our signals crossed. The body's lost regulation. And really what's happened here is we're not getting enough signals to the brain that we're in parasympathetic mode. We're chill. We're not taking breaks. And I can say taking breaks during the day and chilling out, but I mean taking breaks mentally. I mean taking breaks in terms of slowing down your schedule. I mean taking breaks in terms of not eating all the time, stress eating, not overloading your gut. So there's so many things that we can be manipulating ourselves and and basically giving ourselves more senses of calm to help ourselves to regulate this darn nervous system of ours. So essentially disease in my mind is dysregulation of the nervous system on so many different levels. It really boils down to that. Why do we get sick? If you trace it back, you're going to find that it is related to the fight or flight nervous system going awry and skin for sure. As we talked about eczema earlier, it's crazy. It's crazy, the nervous system. So really with Chinese medicine, if we translate autonomic nervous system and the fight or flight response and the chill the rest digest and chill state, the Chinese medicine has a built-in program for looking at regulation of this. It doesn't have one organ that is in control of this. We actually use the lungs, the kidney, the liver, and we use the heart for the nervous system. It's almost an adventure to say even the digestive system. So those five elements that I had mentioned before in terms of the smells and all that stuff, all five of those play in to the nervous system. And if We have some purists listening and want it simplified. If we start to have true issues in the nervous system, we're kind of looking more at an imbalance between heart and kidney in terms of how those two channels balance the body. Elaborate on that. Yeah. So kidney channel has the adrenal glands in it. 
And if we follow where the kidney channel goes, literally the kidney channel, it's going to start on the bottom of your foot and come all the way up to your body. And it ends right here on either side of your sternum. And so it follows the pattern of where the autonomic nervous system runs in the body. So those of you who are listening that are not familiar with autonomic nervous system, this nerve, the vagus nerve in particular, is the nerve that goes on either side of your spine all the way down and controls every single organ, has an input to every single organ, every single aspect of those organs. And so the kidney channel does the same thing. It runs in the same aspect. Now the kidney channel comes up to where the heart is. How do we stress ourselves out? It's usually beginning with some sort of an emotional response. The heart and the liver are in charge of emotions in Chinese medicine. If you start to have too much stress, the Chinese medicine world will say that you are putting liver, you're going to have excess liver chi moving into your heart. So I know that sounds kind of weird. That might take us a couple hours to talk about that connection there. But to simplify it, if your heart is not feeling good, you're anxious, you're stressed, you're having insomnia, you're going to wear yourself out, right? And the heart and kidney balance each other. And because of the two of them, the heart is fire, the kidneys water. Think about water and fire balancing each other out. You have too much fire, you got to put water on that fire. If you get to the point where you deplete all of your water, what happens? Can't that fire, fire is going to take. Yeah, they can't put the fire out. And so this is the autonomic nervous system losing control and not being able to regulate anything because your kidney channel is what's your regulator in the body. It's your batteries. You lose your amount of batteries when you have no water left to keep putting out fires in the body. You can translate it back to inflammation as well. You become overinflamed when your body does not have enough water to put out the fire. Can I oversimplify this and say that we need yeah. hydration? You can oversimplify it and you can say it with hydration. You can also say it with rest because the kidneys yes control water in the body in the Chinese world, but they also control rest. They control our jing qi, which is our like sexual qi. So things of that nature, if you're getting stressed out, don't really want to have sex or having erectile dysfunction issues, that's also tied back into autonomic nervous system. So yeah, when you do not have enough hydration, when you do not have enough sleep and you're not taking care of your batteries, you're not recharging your batteries, you do not have enough water to put out fires in the body. So mm. the inflammation takes over. Yeah. Interesting approach to that. Very interesting approach to that. Thanks for sharing that. Okay. So we got a problem mm -hmm. and we could talk about the problem for a while. So let's talk about what we're going to do about this situation, right? Well, one, let's talk about recognizing it maybe because we're talking about like from a traditional Chinese medicine standpoint, what it looks like. But let's talk about how does someone tangibly recognize this in themselves? Because that's one of the biggest problems is awareness, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So how mm -hmm. do we help someone recognize the wrong side of the nervous system is activated for too long? Yeah, no, that's great. So one of the first signs that I have people looking at is your response to things. Are you creating an over response? Meaning like, do you feel that, you know, you've got five things on your list you need to do today and you're like, oh my God, there's too many things. I feel overwhelmed. And you go, you feel the overwhelm, but then it takes it to a whole nother level for you. Are you getting shaky? Are you noticing your hands are shaking? Are you noticing that you're feeling lightheaded? Are you feeling dizzy really like easily? Or are you feeling to the point where your brain just shuts down on you? You're like, I can't handle this. And now I can't think at all. So brain fog, another huge sign that you are becoming overwhelmed when you can't put sentences together. Sometimes you'll even, you're not dyslexic, but you'll start to twist numbers and words around too. These are big signs that, uh-oh, we're having some dysregulation. Mm -hmm. Another big one for a lot of folks is in the evening, watching your evening routines. And in particular, coming home, you have dinner, you wolf your dinner down, and then all of a sudden you're still wanting more food and you're wanting to just keep shoveling in things. So the emotional eating, the stress eating from part of things. And I think for a lot of people that happens in the evening where they're like, I can't give up my chocolate. I can't give up my wine. You're searching for something to soothe you, but nothing is soothing you. You're not being satiated. That's another really big sign that we've got a problem. Mission control. Another biggie is waking up in the middle of the night to urinate a lot. So one time, okay, especially if you drink too much water in the evening, okay, that could be correlated. But if you're cutting your water off by like seven o'clock and you're going to bed at 10 and you wake up four times to pee in the middle of the night, Houston, problems here. We got problems. Go back to Chinese medicine, kidneys control water in the body. If you're depleting your batteries, you wake up a lot to pee. So that's another biggie. That's an often overlooked sign here. Digestive issues, big time constipation or diarrhea can be where things really switch to 
in this case. And then I'm also looking a lot at folks having palpitations, heart stuff, chest pain out of nowhere. You're like, oh my God, I'm having a heart attack. You go in, they're like, yeah, you're fine. Everything's fine. Your blood pressure might be elevated. You might get a pill. But really, if there's no reason why you're having chest pain, no one can figure it out. You're overwhelmed. It's your nervous system not being able to go back to not putting water on that fire in that heart of yours. Insomnia is another biggie, waking up in the middle of the night and maybe you don't have to go to the bathroom, but you can't stop thinking about something or you're just waking up and you're like, la la la, I have no idea why I'm awake. Water not putting the fire out. I'm sad for my 20 something year old self because I did have chest pain and heart pain at that time. Mm-hmm. And I did some different minerals and things, which under stress, you'll deplete minerals. And so that can be useful because electrolytes always important. But at the same time, it's hard to recognize this, right? Because mm-hmm. like it's one, it's viewed as weakness. Another thing is I loved what you said about waking up four times in the night to urinate because I feel like this happens more as we age, which mm-hmm. also equals, I think we put more stress on our adrenals as we age for mm-hmm. sure. And that doesn't mean, I just see it more and more. So people often blame it on public floor or even for men, prostate health. So what would you say about that? Like, yep, it could be more than one thing probably, but that would be normally where I think first, I'd never thought about it like this before. So I wanted to ask you about that before I moved on past that one. I would not rule those things out for sure. If we go back to talking how we're talking about myofascial and sinew connections, the pelvic floor is related to the kidney channel. And the urinary bladder channel, they're, they're paired channels in the Chinese world. And so, yeah, I wouldn't rule that out. Prostate ends up being in that wrapping of the same tissue. So I think that if we look at it, it's possibly getting to that level of the prostate being a problem or getting to the level of the pelvic floor being a problem is like more or less you've depleted yourself to the point that now there actually is a tissue issue mm. versus just having that frequency. So maybe you're waking up to pee one to two times a night. Now it's four because now it's developed into the pelvic floor or the prostate issue. So watching these signs for like when they first come on so that things don't go from being more of just a imbalance issue or a depleted issue to a true tissue issue. Mm-hmm. I want to talk to you about, I did some interviews recently as I was trying to prepare for this adrenal-ish reset, like a resilience reset program that we're trying to do in March. But um, the marketing is a challenge. I mentioned this because we don't always resonate with it. If you're already like super duper burned out, there's a harder road back than if you're literally trying to support your stress response. So, you know, people need this, but it's like, how do you help people understand that the United is the problem? So I was doing some interviews and one health coach that I interviewed, she shared that she cares about things related to stress and adrenals and whatnot, but she feels like the word burnout means that your body's done. But she feels like she has an unlimited supply of adrenaline. She doesn't feel like she hits the wall. She feels like she thrives on stress and enjoys it. And she does her best work at midnight, but she carries things in her body, stores tension in her shoulders, back and body. And I've had people like this before where it's like, you are in the race from the bear. But what would you say to this person as to like where they are? Would you say like, oh, they're just still like working on overactivating that side of the nervous system, but like maybe they're not stopping to see the results of it. Like, I mean, because they're not always saying the same list of things you talked about, like feeling lightheaded, dizzy, brain fog, twisting numbers, like all of those were awesome examples. But what about the person who's like wired? (laughs) They're like, I'm wired. I love this. This is my jam. This is my zone. Yeah. So that's a great point. There are quite a few people that thrive in this area. I would say that they might have some genetic mutations such as a comp COMT or MAO. And for those of you guys that are like, what the heck did you just say? These are mutations that help to keep us recycling our cortisol so it stays elevated in the body. These are warrior genes. And so these kind of folks do thrive on these things, but they do have the potential to burn out just like everyone else. So what I usually say to folks that are like, no, this is my jam. This is how I work. I like living in the high stress. I thrive off of it. Okay, great. But keep in mind that we all have a limited source of what our bodies can handle and what they can take. And I will see a lot of my type A folks who have hit the wall. And this is where we're in this phase of like, I'm in my zone. I'm living off the high cortisol. I love it. This is great. And then all of a sudden, wall, done. So my spiel here to these folks, they're like, all right, you do not have an unlimited source of what you can replenish. So the way to look at it is we've got to help you to start 
replenishing. So you had mentioned magnesium, vitamin C, pansathanic, B6 or P5P, which is the precursor for B6, like having someone on these things so that they're keeping themselves going. Because let's face it, there's people who love to be night owls and they thrive off that. And I don't want to take that away per se, but we also want to keep the acknowledgement that yes, this is a state in which you're probably starting to get where you're burning some fumes of your cortisol. Your body's just a little bit better adapted to keep you fighting and flighting in a good way. So I usually will monitor cortisol, saliva cortisol, and just make sure that they're not completely burning themselves out. Because a lot of times, if I can't show that this particular state is headed towards a negative state, I will tend to be like, well, then let's see if it truly is. Let's look at your saliva cortisol and see what your reserves are. And let's look at your B6, your pantothenic, your, you know, I want to look at what's going on with your B vitamins, what's going on with your C's. We'll do a micronutrient analysis and be like, all right, well, let's see where you're at. And for a lot of people that live in the state, they are in that middle range where they're starting to wear down. And sometimes this is a defense mechanism in and of itself that the body when you have the genetic mutations that can push you and allow you to live in the spider flight state and not burn out as soon as other folks, sometimes you will be able to keep it going for a little bit and you can sometimes keep it going for longer. I have not been in practice long enough. I don't think because I'm only 14 years in, I think I've not been in practice long enough to see some people through the whole course. I just haven't. What so do you I mean? mean through the whole course of if I keep supporting them and we mm-hmm. keep their cortisol at an, a level that they can function in the way they like to function. Mm-hmm. I've just not been in practice long enough to see what happens 15 years from now, what happens from 10 years from now. So I I don't know. I really don't know. But I do know that I can keep people going for a couple of years like that. And ultimately, it's one of those things that sadly, when we look back at the stories of how people tell me they were in the zone and they were, you know, pulling all nighters and then all of a sudden they hit the wall. I mean, that's just what we know from from historical what happens. Yeah, that doesn't tend to work forever, I find. I have a lady right now and she's an angel. She's a lovely person and she used to stay up all night and work through stuff to finish projects like all the time. And now if she overworks at all, like she just went back to work, she overworks at all, her brain is just like hurts. And I mean, that's like an extreme example, but it is real. Okay. So we talked about what it feels, what this feels like, what this looks like, how you recognize this in yourself, which is so important because it's not always on labs. It's not always like, oh, I feel like you need to have these other tangible signs and symptoms. Thank you. So what are we going to do about it? This has been great, but like, let's outline some steps, some things, some ideas. What could someone do? now that we've maybe recognized that it's important, which I think most of us could say could work on improving nervous system balance, like solid, the solid, good recommendation. Everyone should work on this. Everyone should be working on this. I mean, this should be foundation. Like literally, like this is where I get upset about conventional medicine and where we're at in the healthcare model. We're not addressing this big picture of how someone manages their stress. We're not taught it in high school. We should be. I think we should be taught it in grade school. But really, number one is looking at your teens. You got to see like, what are you doing that is setting you up for being more stressed? You have to look at like, when do you wake up? When do you go to bed? So your circadian rhythm stuff. And you're looking at, do you have set meal plans, breakfast, lunch, dinner? If you're doing intermittent fasting, great. Just whatever your meals are, have it set and have it planned because you're skipping meals. That's going to set you up for trouble too over time. Your body works off of predictions. And if you are very predictable and albeit kind of boring, your body is going to thank you for that. It wants boring. It wants you to be predictable. It also needs breaks during the day. And that's one of the things in American culture, like you've said before, Krista, you've been like, yeah, you know, it's not highly looked upon to take breaks. It's not highly looked upon to admit that you're stressed and that you're feeling overwhelmed. And unfortunately, breaks have kind of went by the wayside unless you're a smoker. And if you're type A, you look at the smokers and you're like, those lazy people, they're out there smoking. They should be working. And you're like working through lunch. You don't take a break during the day. You get home from work and you don't stop working. You keep working until you go to bed. I can say this because I've done it. It doesn't work out. I ended up face first on a concrete floor in a whole bunch of oil grit stuff because I literally pushed myself to the limits. And that's why I love to talk about this stuff because it's like, it's real. I'm type A as type A can be. And I've had to like slow my roll. I used to think I was one of those people that used to think I pull all nighters all the time. So you got to get your routines. You got to get that jam down. 
all of that stuff, but you've got to be taking your breaks at least five minutes twice a day where you sit and do nothing or you hula hoop like I like to do or kick a soccer ball. I don't care what it is, something that's kind of fun for you and maybe something indulgent. The next thing is, is your evening routine. You got to hammer that down. A lot of people talk about the morning routines and how important that is, but they're not talking about the evening. And this is where people fail a lot. The morning people are like, I got my lemon water with my apple cider vinegar. And, you know, I had my tea. I put my intentions for the day. Great. Do that. I do recommend that. But the evening time, this is where we suck. Most humans suck in the evening because we don't have a hard stop to work. If you're type A, you got to have a hard stop. Computer shut down by, I venture to say between 4 and 5 p.m. And I'll be honest that I usually don't get out of work till about 6 p.m. And so I do. As soon as I'm out of work, that sucker's down. The other big thing is eating too late at night. And I think this can be tied in with a lot of issues. Chinese medicine has a principle of between 5 and 7 p.m. That's your stomach time. That's your prime stomach chi. That's when it's the strongest it'll ever be. If you eat later than that, you're going to switch things out of mechanical digest mode and you're going to be in storage mode and you don't want to be storing too many things. If you can't lose weight and you're stressed out and you're eating too late, that's why. So stop eating by 7 p.m. Then after that, now we're working on circulation because most of us suck at circulation. And I talked about how that has a lot to do with the fight or flight system. The better you circulate, the less issues you're going to have between pain and whatnot, but it's also a calming thing. So after you're done eating, then you're out taking a stroll or you're doing some gentle yoga, some stretching, some mobility. And we are talking about screen time and stuff. I'm like non-negotiable. If someone is getting pretty stressed out, I really will be like two hours before you go to bed. No screen time. And TV too, because part of the issue that a lot of folks are watching the news now, they're getting all amped up and fearful, or they're watching, you know, shoot 'em up movies, or they're watching horror films, and then they figure, why can't I sleep? Well, I don't know. You're going to replay what you just went through in your head. So these are big things in terms of your routine and thinking about your evening, thinking about every little thing in your evening to set you up to recover and move into the next day. I'm a huge fan of Epsom salt baths. We talked about that with, with our podcast. I mean, it's just whatever you can do to put yourself in chill mode in the evening and go old school. I'm all about like 1800s lifestyle after you get home from work. Love Just it. cut off all the technology. Let's be in the 1800s. Turn on the radio. I don't care. Turn on the music. That's fine. You're not staring at the thing. Just something that you can do that can really just calm you down and ease you in, have some fun, ease you into the evening, then go to bed nice and chill. So that's kind of my big spiel for folks in terms of what they need to be looking at. That's great. And you know what? I just noticed it was free. It was free. Mm -hmm. It was uh, look at your routines, cortisol, circadian rhythm stuff, take a couple breaks. I mean, sometimes it's embarrassing, but not like it's good to reflect because when you talk about it out loud, I think about occasionally work happens and you have to take a really long day, right? It just is a, sometimes it's a byproduct of being out of the office a different day or something, you know, you need to take a long day. And I remember I had one kind of recently and I was like, not looking forward to it. Cause I'm like, that is going to be so exhausting. <laughs> but because something happened, like someone shifted an appointment where right in the middle of the day, there was like a longer lunch break. Cause usually my lunch break is a little too short. And so I had a long enough lunch break to go outside. And even though I think I had to work till like seven or after that night, because I had that break in the middle of the day, it was fine. It was totally fine. I was like, I did not feel done at the end of the day. I was like, I feel good because you took that break in the middle of the day. I tell you the story because as you said, it helps connect the things together, right? It's like, it works to mention it. Yeah. It is so huge what the value of taking a break can do for us. Just right. literally telling our nervous system, there's no bear. It's mm -hmm. all good. We're chill. Right. Oh, it's magical. And so, yeah, all my patients might get annoyed with me, but hey, I find the value and it really does when you can commit to it over time. I mean, it makes a heck of a lot of difference. I think this is why, like, I don't have a dog. I have chickens and pigs. Pigs are kind of like dogs. And I think this is where having a dog can be kind of a biohacking strategy for people because they have to go out and walk it. They have to go out and do the thing. It's like, it kind of forces you to go do something. And if you're enjoying your creature, then it's great. So like, I feel like it forces you to do things that you know you should do because it's like, it's a, your accountability partner sort of to do it. So it's kind of interesting. Like I'm like, if you have a dog, it's easy to go look at morning sun or it's easy to go take that break because you know they got to um, pee. So anyway, it's just a good point. And I remember early in my practice, I was just like scheduling things as they fit in. And sometimes people would schedule into my lunch hour, like accidentally because I wasn't putting safety mechanisms in place. So that could not happen. And then I would get so pissed off because this girl, like, I like to eat and you're going to piss me off if you take me away my food. Like, 
I enjoy eating. It is part of what makes me really happy. Like, let's talk about food for a while because let's talk about how we're going to make something like that is lovely for me. Like that is, I am that weird person who enjoys that, right? I don't understand why not everyone is like that, but that is me. So anyway, I mentioned this because it's embarrassing. Like I was missed, like I was not getting a lunch break. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> and that went on for a short time. And I was like, oh, I'm going to put this standing thing. Like anyway, it was just dumb because I wasn't taking the consistent same time. And so when you have consistency, if you allow, if you're like, oh, but everything is every day is always different. Is it, does it need to be? It's fine if it is, but does it need to be? Does it really need to be all that different? Or are there, can we find the common denominators? Like even if you're doing different things on a different day, couldn't you still schedule it in around the same time-ish? Like almost, like if your boss schedules a meeting during your lunch hour, are you going to be able to eat lunch then? But can you make sure that if that happens, you do at least like you put it on the other end or something? So anyway, just helping drill down the point. So routines, take the breaks. And I loved how you said five minutes because this is doable. Doodle or kick a soccer ball or pretend you need to go smoke because I think like, oh, I'm going to go out on my non-smoking break. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go outside and do whatever. How are you going to do it? Who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Like do whatever makes sense to you. Whatever is a good excuse. And I think we always need like alerts until, and it seems like we always get alerts and then we sort of ignore them after a while. So it's good to like change up the alerts. We all like, we're like, eh, I'm just going to silence that notification. Like you got to do what works. Evening routine. I really appreciated that. And then circulation. And I loved you brought up watching the news and horror movies as part of circulation, which is so cool. I was thinking like, move your body. But you know, I loved what you stated there too, because you're like getting all that stuff up. So anyway, and it brings us back to Chinese medicine, which you said is basically circulation or non-circulation, which is super cool. I really loved our conversation about it because I feel like I now know more than I did before an hour ago. And I realized how much more I don't know about <laughs> Chinese medicine, which is always the situation. The more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. But I loved this. It was very practical. And it was just kind of a cool different view or a different perspective on how we can address some of the same things. There's always more than one way to go about things. Okay. So where can people find you online? You can find me at Dr. Spelled Out, jkrausnd.com. That's my website with all my goodies on there. You can also head over to the healthfixpodcast.com where my podcast lives. And then I have a Facebook group that goes with my podcast. If you want to keep the conversation going with me, it's called Find Your Health Fix. It's over on Facebook. And then Instagram, it's Dr. Just D-R, Janine, J-A-N-N-I-N-E, Kraus, K-R-A-U-S-E. That's where you get my personality. You get me showing all kinds of fun things that I do in the office and in my kitchen and life as it is. And hopefully you learn a few things along the way. Thanks so much for coming on today. Hey, no problems. My pleasure. One of the best gifts you could give us at The Less Stress Life is your feedback. We are paid in podcast reviews. If you enjoyed this or any other episode, please leave us a review. In the iTunes store or from your podcast app, just search for Less Stress Life as if you're not already subscribed. Click on the banana face image, scroll to the bottom where it shows the text of other reviews, and write a review. While you're there, hey, make sure you hit subscribe. For Android or Stitcher users, you gotta go to the the desktop site and search for Less Stress Life and then scroll down to leave a review. Stitcher doesn't load Apple reviews on their site, so if you want, you can leave a review in both places. Your feedback means a lot to the success of the show. Thanks so much for taking the time to do that. You rock. 